What's wrong? Oh, the children can go back to their classes. Sorry about that. And the adults can get comfortable. Many of you really like the Psalms. The Psalms are great. The Psalms are, uh, they're God-breathed, just like the rest of Scripture it talks about in 2 Timothy, that the Scriptures are breathed for our edification, for our teaching, for reproof. The Psalms are God-breathed. There's a Psalm um, that really has meant a lot to me, and especially my first taste of the Psalms was an unusual one. I don't think anyone here could say this, but I used to watch horror movies when I was in seventh grade. I don't think my parents knew, but I would stay up late at night on our little black and white TV, and I would watch Chili Billy Cardilly. Yeah, from Pittsburgh. Yeah, Chili Billy Cardilly, Channel 4. And I love Boris Karloff, the mummy, Frankenstein. Even the creature from the Black Lagoon. What a movie! They don't make them like that anymore. Well, after watching those movies by myself, and you go to bed and your little head is on the pillow, and you hear your heartbeat. Boom, boom, boom. That's Boris Karloff coming up the stairs. Scared to death. So, I had a beagle, Alvin. Alvin never really understood the reason why I let him sleep on the bed right by the bedroom door. He was the sacrificial beagle. He was gone first. The chubby kid was next. So I knew that. I knew that Alvin wouldn't satisfy, satisfy the monster very long. So I would read the Psalms. At seventh grade, I would read the Psalms. That was the only thing that gave me peace was reading the Psalms. I don't know where I got that from. It can only be the grace of God, the mercy of God. And I don't know what his mercy did to me. I don't know what else I picked up reading the Psalms. But what a, what a blessing. How many of you know sincere, honest people? They're different than the rest of the unsincere, not honest people. Sincere people are people that they don't have cracks and wax. It's a pottery term. It means without cracks, without wax. What the, in the ancient days, what they would do is a guy would make a pot, a clay pot, he would fire it in the oven, and maybe it would crack. The imperfection in the clay, some dirt, something, maybe it didn't cool properly. He would fire it in the oven, and it would get a crack. Well, you, what are you going to do with a cracked pot? Yes. <laughs> What are you going to do with a cracked pot? So what they would do is they would put wax in the crack so you couldn't see the wax. So when you bought the pot, you might say, hey, let me pour water in it. Let's see if anything comes out. Nothing comes out. Take it home. You put it on the fire and put your soup in. What's the first thing that happens? The wax melts, and there goes your soup. 
well, guess what? There was no, you couldn't call Bev up and complain. You know, there, I mean, there was no complaint mechanism. So that's what sincere people are. They have no cracks. They have no wax. They have no pretense. They're just honest, sincere people. But I want you to realize God is without cracks. God is without wax. God stands the test no matter what test we go under. God is faithful and he withstands the test through us. Isaiah 30:19 says, "How gracious will he be when you cry for help?" And in the New Testament it says, "If you ask him for a loaf, will he give you a rock?" If you, if you ask him for a fish, will he give you a serpent? Our God knows what we need. Now, what we need, what he knows what we need and what we think we need, that's the problem. That's the difficulty. And we're going to look at Psalm 73 today, written by a man named Asaph. Uh, Asaph was one of these honest, sincere people without cracks, without wax. Asaph wrote a very... Asaph wrote quite a bit, and because he's put into the Psalms, you sort of, you don't realize how much the guy's written. Um, Asaph wrote 12 Psalms. He wrote Psalm 50, and he wrote Psalm 73 through 83. Some people give him credit for 94, maybe, maybe not, but he did write, he did write at least 12 Psalms. And when you're looking in your Bible, and you see the Psalm of Asaph in the Bible, the way it's written, that is inspired. That is not italicized. That is not bold italicized. That is inspired. That title, a Psalm of Asaph, is part of the original Hebrew text that wasn't added later. Asaph wrote Psalm 73. And Asaph is... And all of his psalms are sort of grouped together, except for Psalm 50. And I don't understand exactly why in the Old Testament. Roger probably understands this better, but the, the psalms were written in five books. Asaph, Psalm 73, is the first of book three. If you look at Psalm 72, it says the end of David's psalms or songs has ended. And then it goes to Psalm 73. And you see 11 of Asaph's psalms. They start book three. And, and just to let you know, just aside, that's why Psalm 90 should be Psalm number one. But Psalm 90 is in another book. That's Moses' psalm. If you were numbering them chronologically when they were written, Psalm 90 would be one. But each, each set of books, um, they're... Some of them are grouped in what they call national laments. Some are grouped in personal laments. There's the, the uh, songs of ascent. There's, there's different groupings for different reasons why, and I don't understand why, but over the years, Hezekiah, Josiah, Solomon, David, everybody sort of regrouped them, and what we have is, is what we have at this point. But Asaph was a guy, and... He had real troubles and real problems. How many of you have ever had troubles and problems 
and you felt that the earth was, or the sky was bronze or brass above your heads and, and, and the ground was like iron beneath your feet. And you're crying out to God and crying out to God and you don't see an answer. You can't see an answer. And you just, you start to doubt. You start to wonder, am I in sin? Is there a problem? And you look at your neighbor and your neighbor's doing really well. And he's, he's, he's a wretch, but he's doing well. Everything he does turns to gold. And you're like, this is crap. You know, what's going on here? Sorry about that, Terry. But that's Asaph. Asaph. Asaph sees what's around him, and he's doubting his faith. He's doubting whether he's really, really right with God, if there's a problem with him or you know, maybe, maybe I'm, I misunderstand what's going on here. Um, so let's turn to Psalm 73. I'll start, we'll read that to you. I actually, I don't know if I can do it real quick. I actually have a rap, Psalm 73 rap. We've never done rap here before. No, I'm telling you, Mike, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is good. Yeah, this is actually, uh, I don't like rap um, at all, but I heard this, and this really minister, this song really ministered to me, this, this guy, uh, the way he did it. It was a Christian outreach, and I'm not sure what city, um, what city it was. I think it was Chicago. <laughs> you don't like Chicago? Okay. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. 
But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things. Was that okay? Mike, on a scale from 1 to 10? A 1. <laughs> okay. All right. But that's actually, I don't like rap, but I like that. I mean, that really ministers to me. This is an inner city guy ministering to inner city people. And you, you think about it here in the, in the inner city, it's going to be the crack dealers. It's going to be... You know, all these people that are in the sin, they're going to be driving the cars, they're going to have the gold, they're going to have the fine clothes, they're going to have the fine everything. And the Christian that's living in the inner city might not have a job, might not have a house, doesn't have any friends. He's going to be tormented by the wicked people. And that's, that's why this, this meant a lot to me, because I could just picture this in the inner city. This is the same thing. This guy's having the same difficulties that Asaph's having. He's looking at the wicked, and he's wondering, why? Why are they prospering? Why? Why? What's going on here? But Asaph, um, Asaph starts Psalm 73, and, and some psalms are started with a question, and then they develop into the answer. Asaph does do that, but he starts with a premise. He starts first with a premise. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those are pure in heart. Asaph is saying, this is what I know. God is good. I'm going to start. I'm going to give you my complaint. I'm going to give you my logic. I'm going to lay everything out. But I want you to know, first and foremost, what I know. God is good to Israel. God is good in a general sense to Israel. God is a good in a general sense to his church. God is good in a general sense to um, his people, but to those that are a pure of heart, to those who are seeking God, to those who want to be nourished by the word, God has a particular blessing of goodness, which he gives. And Asaph says, yes, generally to all of us, God is good, to, to Israel, to the church, but particularly to those who are pure in heart, those who seek God, God has a very special blessing. He has a very special purpose and a very special blessing. So Asaph starts his logic off with that fact. So when you go through it, in verse 2 through, four, through 3, verse 2 and 3, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The word there, prosperity, is shalom. The same word the Hebrews use for peace. Asaph says, I'm confused here. I see the wicked. They have the shalom of God. The shalom is on them. Everything they do, it prospers. I'm envious of that. Asaph, Asaph is looking. They got the better car. They got the better house. They got the better job. They don't work as hard. They cheat on their taxes. No one says anything. They um, steal property. No one says anything. Nothing happens to them. And Asaph says, here I am. I'm serving God. I'm envious. How many of you want, I'm going to tell you something. 
when you start to compare, when you start to look at yourselves, when you start to look at what you have, and you look at what everybody else has that isn't what you have, when you compare, you will despair. That's where despair starts. Despair starts when you start comparing what you have. You've got to keep your eyes, and this is a hard issue, Asaph wasn't looking up, he was looking around. And Asaph said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked, their shalom. It was a heart issue. Remember when Peter took his eyes off of Christ, what happened when he was trying to walk on the water? He sank. Asaph took his eyes away from God. His next complaint is verse, verse 4. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. You know what that means? They're, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They were Americans. Okay? Those were Americans. They aren't worried about where their next meal's coming from. They have, they have an abundance. I mean, we, you know, when we go overseas, we probably, we probably earned the ugly American title. And, you know, you, you get up, on, up, up into Greece and you're looking over the Parthenon on the mountains. And you say to your wife, honey, look, you can see our hotel from here. Okay? That's the, that's the ugly American. But, but here, here you have... Asaph saying their bodies are fat and sleek. They don't worry about anything. Verse 5, they are not troubled as others. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace and violence covers them as a garment. Verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. What that means is anything they see they get anything. Anything they look at, anything they desire, it just seems to come to them. Anything they can think about, anything stupid, a stupid idea, anything they think about, it works. It works. You know, if you want to grow a church, don't talk about sin. You'll drive them away. If you want to grow a church, you got to give the positive message. you got to, you know... It's all about driving a nice car. It's all about the blessing. Um, my mom died of diabetes. And uh, she died in despair. She really did. Because the church that she was going to, and, and I'm not going to mention the name, but the church she was going to, it was back in Pittsburgh. It was a, maybe what you might call a name it, claim it type environment. So diabetes and Carol will tell you, it's a slow disease, and it just, it's almost like a, it cannibalizes your body. It just destroys your body. If you don't take care of it, 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 it will get you. It takes time, it's very slow, and, and at first it's very painless, so you don't know what's coming. But, you know, you could claim your healing all you want. If you don't take care of it, it's not going to go away. So my mom, in her situation she honestly thought it was her lack of faith that was causing the problem. So she died in despair thinking God didn't love her because she didn't have enough faith because she had this issue. 
And that's what that mentality does to you, because I, I, I guarantee it, all of us here, if we haven't experienced it yet, all of us here will die. Death is not usually pleasant. You know, sometimes, you know, you might go in your sleep, but it's not a pleasant experience. And all of us have had that call at 3 o'clock. In, uh, anybody that calls your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, they're not telling you you won a prize. You know, that, that call at 3 o'clock in the morning, as soon as the phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning, even if it's a wrong number, you know what your heart's telling you. How am I going to deal with this? Verse 8. They scoff and speak. He's still complaining about the wicked. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven. And their tongues strut through the earth. Do you remember Herod in Acts? Um, the Sidonians and the, the people from Tyre and Sidonian. They're, evidently, he controlled their food uh, going to their town. And they must, have, they must have really made him mad for some reason. So prices are probably skyrocketing. Maybe there's an embargo. So they, in the book of Acts, it said they wanted to make peace with Herod. So they go through his chamberlain. That would be like Bev. You know, Herod's the politician. You find the chamberlain. That's Bev. And you say, hey, can you have, can you have Herod come here? We want to hear him speak. So Herod enters the praetorium or what the, the rostrum, I think it says in the Bible. And he, he, he sits down to speak. He probably can't even stand up to speak. He's, he's pretty heavy. So he sits down to speak. Well, as soon as he starts to speak, it had to be fixed. Everybody started cheering. The voice of God. It's not a man. It's God. It's a God. And Herod, man, Herod, oh, he's eating this up. And what does the Bible say happened to him? An angel came, struck him down. He died and was eaten of worms. Well, I want to tell you, that's the least of Herod's problems. Whether he was killed by worms then or not, that is... Herod's not even thinking about that now. That is the least of his issues. But you know, if and, and inside me, maybe I'm not real Christian there. It's like, yeah. yeah. You, wish, you wish more people would go that way? I do. I've I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know. Is it the Italian thing, Sue? Is it, is it an Italian thing or is it just a human thing? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. But God doesn't. God doesn't, he works that way. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, yes, they were killed. Herod, yes, he was killed. Haman, Haman's another one. Here you got Haman. Haman's, Haman's invited to a breakfast buffet by the king and his wife, Esther. He's going to the buffet. This is great. He gets there, he's got a seat of honor. He's got nice clothes, he's got a nice table, he's got food in front of him. And guess what? Before the poached eggs are served, He's on a noose. But I want to say that noose is not Haman's problem. Haman, that's the least of Haman's problems. For within a second or two after his being hung, he's in hell. That is the least of Haman's problems. When you look in the Bible, you've got the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had everything. Lazarus had nothing. 
The rich man had five brothers. The rich man had a house. The rich man had, he had, he had everything he needed. When he went to the temple, he had a place of honor. Poor Lazarus is sitting outside just begging for scraps. Well, I want to let you know that is the least of his problems now. You know, when Jesus talked about him 2,000 years ago being in hell, just trying to get a drop of water to quench his thirst, he is still there. He hasn't left. He has, his, his desire hasn't changed. He is still there. So who had everything? Who really had everything? Was it Lazarus that had everything or was it the rich man? You know what? Lazarus was the one that had everything. So don't let your eyes deceive you. When you look at the rich, when you look at the wicked, who has everything? If you have Christ, if God is yours, if he is your hope, you have everything. Verse 9. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in him. This verse can either mean two things, it, it, and it pretty much comes down to the same thing. His people can be God's people turned to these wicked people because of their prosperity. Yeah, I mean, you realize if, if uh, Ted Turner goes to, comes to Harrisburg and he goes into a restaurant, you know he eats for free? Why in the world would an owner give that rich of a man pick up his tab? I, I, I don't understand it. You know, to me, I'd be charging them more. <laughs> but these rich people, these rich people that are famous, when they go somewhere, many times they don't even have a tab. It's because people flock to them because of their fame, their prosperity. They, they feel like, if I can just get close enough, maybe some of this will rub off on me. So it either means we're deceived and flock, or other wicked people are deceived and flocked. Either way, it's not a good thing. But people are drawn. The sports people, you know, if, uh, if you had a famous sports person in here right now, you'd probably lose. You'd be like, oh, giddy. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't even know who he is. But... Just like you don't like rap, I don't like sports. But <laughs> And these wicked people say, verse 11, they say, How can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. They're always at ease, and they always increase in riches. Asaph's complaint, he's, he's building up to his final complaint, verse 13 through 15. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I will have betrayed the generation of your children. You know, it's probably not good for a pastor to say, you know, I'm really starting to wonder if God's really there. All right? I mean, there are, everybody goes through doubts. Everybody goes through trials. Everybody goes through tribulations. And we should share, share these things with people. People need to know we're human, that we don't always have it together, that things aren't always going right, that we do have trials and we have tribulations. But sometimes when you're going through the darkest moments, 
you wouldn't want to come up publicly and confess that to a group of people. You'd probably want to find close friends that are mature and you say, hey, you know, I'm really struggling in this area. This is really bad. This is really a dark area for me. You wouldn't want to come, you know, you could see, could you see Pastor Terry coming up here and saying, I just wonder if there's really a God. You know, it wouldn't go over good. So this is Asaph. Asaph is saying, I didn't want to, he's, he's telling you now what he's thinking because he's come to the conclusion it's safe but he doesn't want to tell you he's not going to tell you ahead of time he said verse 16 but when I thought how to understand this it seemed to me to be a wearisome task it's almost like he's quoting from uh, Ecclesiastes until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned therein Asaph said, once I entered the sanctuary of God, whatever day that was that, that he understood, he enters the sanctuary. I don't know what God did. I don't know what God said to him. I don't know what God showed him. Other than he showed them their end. He showed, it all made sense to him. It made so much sense to him when he saw the end of the wicked as opposed to the end of the pure in heart. When he saw their end, it made sense that he understood God is giving the wicked temporal blessings. That actually, if you look at it, you ought to pity the wicked. This is the only blessings they ever get. Here, this is it. I mean, if they drive a nice car, this is it. If they have a nice house, if they have granite countertops, if they have, ah, you looked right up on granite. <laughs> You're a contractor. But, you know, I mean, really, I mean, they got the tray ceilings, they got, this is the only place they will have their blessings. They will have no blessings in eternal life. It's all temporal. It's temporary. Everything, everything, every blessing God has given them, every minute they use, every penny they spend, every thought they think, they are storing up eternal wrath. And we would be the same way if it wasn't for the grace of God. So I don't want to say that we're better. We're better off. We're not better because we would all be the same way. But everything they're doing... They're, stirring, they're, they're just storing up eternal wrath. Everything they're doing. And that's why God, that's why Asaph, when he goes into the sanctuary, he says, wow. Look at their end. Pity the rich. Pity them. This is, it's sad. It's sad that this is the only blessing they're ever going to get. Lazarus. Lazarus, on the other hand, Lazarus is embracing the bosom of Abraham and and he's being comforted, and he's being lavished upon, and the, and, and the angels are there. But most important, God is there. Lazarus is, Lazarus is blessed. The rich man isn't. So I, I would encourage each of you, when you're, when you're in doubt, when you're looking at, you know, like Mike. Mike's a contractor, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's things contractors can do to increase their profit. You know what? He's not going to do it. So another contractor might make an extra $15,000 on a house. He's not going to get it. 
he might not even get the house because he's not gonna he's not gonna play the game. You know, maybe there's a, a building inspector needs a little bit of grease. You know what that means? You're Italian, Sue. What's that mean? Okay, needs a little. He's not gonna do it. Guess what? You're a missionary in a foreign country. There's hoops you gotta jump to get there. There's hoops you have to jump to stay there. Guess what? The temptation can be very easy to play the game. You know, maybe, you know, 200 bucks, 300 bucks here, they leave me alone. Guess what? If you don't play the game, looks like you're punished. You're like Lazarus. Guess what? You're storing up riches in heaven. Much, much more. It's, it's an investment. It's, it's, it's going to be an investment. Verse 18 through 20. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Uh, Has anybody ever heard of the, the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards? That's, his, that's the verse that he based that sermon on. Now, Jonathan Edwards, um, from what I understand, had very poor eyesight, and he would read his sermons like this. But the Holy Spirit, and, and he trusted, and they had people that prayed while he was preaching and during his sermon, and the Holy Spirit moved so mightily that the people that were, they, uh, I forget what they called them, they were, wait, they were like waiting or something, they were searching for salvation, but they hadn't quite accepted Christ, but they would put them up front. These people held on to their seats because they felt they were going to slip in hell. That the, heaven, the earth was going to open up, just like it did in the Old Testament, and they were going to fall and slip in. And that's his verse, that's the text that he based that sermon on, is that truly, God, you do set them in slippery places. And if you do notice that the, the wicked people... Um, Sometimes their end comes abruptly. They might live a very, very long, prosperous, relatively easy life, but their end's abrupt. And you do, you do have to feel, feel bad because, you know, in, in, in heaven or in the afterlife or in after death, there are no atheists, not a single one. Because guess what? The first moment that you get there, you realize. You realize the truth. But it's too late. And you realize that too. It's just too late. Verse 21 through 23. Even when my soul was embittered, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked to the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. I want you to look at this scripture because this is a a very, very important scripture. It's a very comforting scripture to me. Asaph was what you would call, um, he believed in eternal security. He believed in the perseverance of the saints. At at least you can see here Asaph was at least a one-point Calvinist at this point. Now, I think he had it together in a lot of other areas, too. But 
Asaph said, you know, here I am. God, I was embittered to you. I, I, I really doubted living righteously was a benefit. So what you're saying is, I really doubt that you keep your promises. I really doubt you, God. Maybe you're not able. Maybe you, you know. So Asaph has all these complaints. And he says, you know what, God? I was a beast to you. Uh, the word beast there is almost like it, it, dumb cattle is probably the best way to look at it. A, a domestic, I mean, if, have any of you ever been around cows? They are stupid. I mean, really stupid. Anybody had a mule or been around a mule or, you know, some of these animals, you know, like horses have some intelligence and pigs have some intelligence, but cows, they're dumb, you know? I mean, they just like stand around waiting to be eaten. They're just, you know, I mean, you, if, if a farmer will tell you, you got to like punch them, you got to kick them, you got to hit them over in the head with a two by four to get them to move if they're, they're being stubborn. They're just dumb animals. And Asaph is saying, I was as a beast, a dumb farm animal. But he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Asaph is saying, you know what, God? Even though I was, a, I was just, I was terrible. I was a dumb animal. Yet you were still there. Because guess who gave Asaph that knowledge when he went into the sanctuary was his father. God was still with, with Asaph. No matter how much Asaph doubted, God was still with him. Verse 25 through 26. Asaph gets down to the important part. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and heart, though my flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even though my flesh fails, even though I die, even though I'm, I'm, I'm in torment, even though I have this cancer, even though I don't have a job, even though things aren't going right, even though I don't have heat in my house, even though my kids aren't doing what they're supposed to do, even though, even though, add in the even though, even though all these things, I still have you, and there's nothing on earth I desire but you. Um, Ron was talking about one time, I think one of his friends said he doesn't want to go to heaven if there's a golf course, no golf course, not going to heaven. All right, just fill in the blanks. I mean, are you going, do you want to go to heaven because you want to see the streets of gold? I mean, that, I, yeah, I want to see them, but guess what? That's not why I'm going there. You want to go there because there's mansions, you know? No, it's, I mean, that, mansions are nice. I'm going to like it. It's going to be nice. I like mansions, yeah. Are you going there because of the food? I can go to Shady Maple, okay? But, yeah, the food's, I bet you the food's going to be better than Shady Maple. But guess what? If it wasn't for God, what is it? What is heaven without God? He has to be more than the angelic choirs, more than anything else that we have in, our, in this world. Our desire has to be for God. So I'm going to ask you a question just to test your heart. What was the greatest thing that Adam lost in the garden? Amen. His fellowship with God. 
that was the greatest thing. It wasn't that it, he, couldn't t- he couldn't be in the garden anymore. It wasn't that his, his eldest son was a murderer and that his, you know, it wasn't all these things that he did. It wasn't all the sickness and sin that he brought upon the earth. The greatest thing that Adam was sorry for, he could not have fellowship with God anymore. That's the greatest thing. So just want to keep, keep, your hearts, keep your hearts and your minds and your eyes focused on why we're going to heaven, what our greatest desire is. Our greatest desire is to be with God. Um, verse 27 and 28. For behold, those who are far from you For behold, those who are far from you, you shall perish. Put an end to everyone who is unfaithful. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my God my refuge. I will tell of all your works. I like to read um, something that I came across. It's a very, I, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not nice reading. It's not comfortable reading. But the Psalms... Psalm 73 is a psalm that is meant to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And that's a lot of scripture. Scripture does both. It, 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 it brings comfort to those who need comfort and it afflicts those who have no idea they need afflicted. I mean, uh, I heard a, we were in a Bible study one time at another church and this young girl got up and she was quoting from Romans. And she said, this verse gives me a lot of confidence. And she said that um, God with patience suffers the wraths, the, the vessels meant for destruction. And then it talks about the good vessels and the bad vessels. And she said, this gives me comfort. And I thought, that's a mark of maturity, that when a scripture like that brings you comfort. But I want to read this, and this is from Thomas Watson, um, very, very good author. Mark, Mark knows that I don't like to read anything that hasn't, the guy hasn't been dead at least a hundred years. This is called The Acorns With Which God Feeds Swine. He, he quotes the verse, he says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, Psalm 73.3. Watson goes on to say, It is often that the evil enjoy all the good, and the good endure all the evil. Be contented, for remember, worldly goods are not the only things, nor are they the best things. They are mere mere temporal blessings. These are but the acorns which God feeds the swine. You who are believers have more choice fruit, the olive, the pomegranate, the fruit which grows on the true vine, Jesus Christ. Others have the fat of the earth. You have the dew of heaven. They have muddy puddles, but you have the springs of living water which are purified with Christ's blood and filled with his love. To see the wicked flourish is, ma- is, is a matter, rather a matter of pity than of envy. This is all the heaven they will ever have, Woe to you who are rich, for you have only happiness now. Luke 6, 24. Hence, it was that David made his solemn prayer, Deliver me from the wicked, 
from the men of the world who have their portion in this life. Our portion is in another life, in this life. When the wicked have eaten of their dainty dishes, there comes a sad reckoning which will spoil all. We should not envy a man who will fry and blaze in hell. Let him have enough of the fat of the earth. Oh, remember, for every sand of mercy which runs out of the wicked, God puts a drop of wrath into his vial. You are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed, Romans 2, 5. Do you envy the wicked? Alas, their prosperity is like Haman's banquet before he was executioned. If a man were to be hanged, would you envy to see him walk to the gallows through pleasant fields? Or to see him go up the ladder in expensive clothing? Malachi 2.2, the Lord says, I will curse even your blessings. Whatever a sinner enjoys, he has a curse with it. And shall we envy him? Would we envy a dog if poison food was given to it? Not... Not nice words, you know, probably not one you want to go over and read your neighbor, you know, like, hey, I got something really I want to, nice I want to share with you, you know. I, I mean, pity them, pity them. Pray for them. Um, you know, be, every one of us knows people who, you know, they, they fit into this. This is their world, this is their life, they don't want to do anything with God, um, you know, they would, they'll even tell you, I'd rather go to hell because I got, you know, there's going to be baseball and beer and whatever else is in hell. I don't know how, but they'll tell you that. Pity them. And be there because when their end comes, they won't have anywhere, anyone to turn to. Uh, you may be the only one at their bedside that is going to read them scripture. You may be the only one at their bedside that's going to hold their hand. You may be their last God's mercy, last bit of grace. And it is grace. It is grace and mercy. I mean, uh, it's not up to me who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. But that might be the, the reason why you're there and the reason why God put you in her life. But, but pity them. Mike, can I play that again? Is that okay with you? You're okay with it? Okay. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna get you like we're gonna get you turned on the rap. You're gonna come to my crib and hang with my peeps. Again, Psalm 73, you can follow through it in your scripture, in your Bibles. Whoop. Well, it is a great joy and a privilege to be with you. I look very forward to these opportunities, and I have uh, indeed been great. Sorry about that. Technic we have, we're having technical difficulties.
No, Mike really likes this. He's a, he's a closet rapper. That's what young Mike says. Is it growing on you, Mike? <laughs> Amen. Time, you can, you can, uh, you're dismissed. Enjoy each other for a few minutes. Um, you know, spend some, spend some good quality time with each other. Be like those people that don't have any cracks and wax. Listen to each other and fellowship with each other. Go with God. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>